Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support. We need your prayers and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. If you would turn with me to our reverse text for this week, it's 1 Kings 19, 3 through 8, and we're going to read that aloud together. So as you find that, please stand and we'll read. This then is the text for today. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, And behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Elijah's ministry is punctuated by two separate mountains, Mount Carmel on one hand, Mount Horeb. On the other. These two mountains, they stand some 300 miles apart. And the land which is between these two mountains makes up most of the geography of our scriptures. Now, ecologically, the contrast is great. Where we met Elijah last week at Mount Carmel is on the northern end of Israel, near the Mediterranean coast. It's lush and a relatively small hill standing some 1,700 feet above sea level, but coming off the coast of the Mediterranean, it rises quite dramatically. So that when you think of Mount Carmel, you can think of the hill country, the Texas hill country up next to a coastline. This is where Elijah was last week, up on this, the Mount of Carmel. And there, at the top of Mount Carmel, he witnessed one of the most miraculous and holy 
displays of God's glory that has ever been on the face of this earth. There is this moment where the skies opened and fire poured down from heaven onto that mountain for everybody across Israel to see. And the fire splashed down onto the sacrifice and took it up and burnt it up with the water that was in the trenches all around it. Now, you might think that after this public display of the glory of God, that all would be revived, that everything in this world would be made right. When the glory of God comes, surely it is redemptive of all. But it wasn't. And even still, God opened the heavens and the fire came down. But also remember, at the same time, it had not rained in Israel for three years. And from the same mountain, Elijah and his servant was there looking up into the sky and waiting on the rain. And Elijah said, there's about to be another miracle, just as the miracle of fire from heaven. So our God controls the rain, and there's about to be rain on the horizon. And he sent his servant, go look over the coast, and you'll see a cloud gathering on the horizon. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And then they saw the storm cloud coming as the grace of God to bring rejuvenation to the land. And so as fire fell and rain fell, you would expect everybody to begin this rejoicing, a shout to the glory of God for all that he has done. Because God's hand had been perfectly visible. So in this moment, Elijah takes off running, it tells us. He's on the Mount Carmel, and, and he takes off running down the mountain. And he, he's running against King Ahab. King Ahab is in a chariot, and it's starting to rain, and King Ahab races this chariot down the mountain, and, and Elijah's running, and Elijah beats him down the mountain to Jezreel. Now, topographically speaking, Elijah moves into this valley, covering a, a, about the distance of a marathon, running about 26 miles that day. And there in the valley, Elijah receives terrible news. You would think after this mountaintop worship experience that all would be well. You, you, you would expect graves to be opened. People turning to the Lord left and right. But, but down in the valley as he came off the mountain, he, he was met with an awful circumstance. You know, one of our naive expectations is that after seeing the glory of God, every earthly problem should disappear. But what we recognize as we walk in faith is that on this side of eternity, there are going to be problems. There are going to be difficulties. And, and we're going to have to deal with countless valleys and terrible people our entire lives. So you would hope that when God revealed himself in this way that all would rejoice, but not Ahab, and certainly not Jezebel. In fact, when, when Jezebel hears that the prophets of Baal have been defeated and slaughtered and God's glory had reigned, she ordered Elijah to be executed. She said, in 24 hours, we are going to kill that man. 
You know, there, there are people who surround us that when they're confronted with the truth of God, they're confronted with the, the power of Scripture, the knee-jerk reaction is to fight back and, and to fight the Spirit of God with, with everything that they have. Some of that may be instinctual. Some of it may just be they think more highly of themselves than they ought to. But, but you would hope that, that Ahab and, and Jezebel would come to repentance, that their, their lives would be changed when the glory of God is on display like this. And instead, she orders Elijah's execution. That if you kill the messenger, maybe you won't have to listen to the message. That if the one who speaks truth is wiped out, so then will truth. You know, the religious leaders in Jesus' day did the same thing. That is, Jesus was the living word of God among them. They thought if we kill him, we can get rid of the message. If we take him out, we don't have to listen to the word of God. So this is where Jezebel was. Jesus orders in the next 24 hours, Elijah is to be executed. And so Elijah... He takes off running again. He's running for his life. And, and in this fear, that, that he has this, this fear of the queen that, that just consumes him, he, he starts to run, and he runs this sort of ultra marathon. He runs 100 miles. And, you know, it, it baffles me here. Elijah, who just saw this, this wonderful power of God, he, he saw the 450 prophets of, of Baal defeated on Mount Carmel, that, that he's now running in fear. What is he afraid of? Who, who can compare to that power and glory of God that he's just seen? That it, it seems like once he comes off Mount Carmel and he comes down into the valley that he has forgotten who God is. How, how could he have forgotten this power of God? How, how could he have forgotten who he belonged to? You know, this is one of the reasons Jesus continually gives up us the Lord's Supper. That we, we take of communion so we don't forget. That even in, in the depths of this world, we, we don't forget who we belong to. And we, we don't forget the, the power of God in our life. Because it seems like at this moment, Elijah is running, and the further he runs, the more he forgets. If God can rain down fire from heaven, God can take care of Jezebel. Why is he fearful in the valley? Why is he running further down into the depths? You see, it, at this point, Elijah, the, the prophet of God, ends up about as low as a person can get. So in, in verse 4 of our reverse text this week, it tells us that, that he, he's been in Beersheba. That's where, that's where he had run to. And in Beersheba, he, he begins to walk. And it says he walks into the wilderness. The, the very same wilderness that, that Israel spent 40 years wandering. And it says out in that wilderness, Elijah finds a place to to sit in the shadow of a juniper tree. Then there underneath the tree, the darkness of his mind spills out onto the ground before God. There Elijah looks up in heaven and he says, God, why have you done this to me? 
Why is this where I find myself today? And, and, and Elijah says, I don't want to live anymore. God, take my life. I, I can't do what you've called me to do. I would rather die than walk another step. God, take me. Now, we have to be careful. I, I, don't, I don't believe that Elijah was contemplating suicide here. But you can see suicide from this juniper tree. I mean, Elijah doesn't go that route. I mean, he looks up to God and says, God, you take my life. I'm, I'm not going to take it, but I want you to take my life. Part of that is because suicide's never the route that God has for you. That, that temptation is evil and a destructive force that will linger long after you're gone. It, it's wrong, and, and it will always cut short what God has in store for you. And so Elijah looks up and says, God, I'm done. Just take my life. Would, would you rid me of this pain? Would you rid me of this woman? Would you rid me of these people? I, I'm tired of being a prophet of God in the nation of Israel. It is time for this to be over. Take me. Now, I do want to be careful. Elijah does the appropriate thing here. All of those thoughts that, that have been racing through his mind as he's running through the valley... He stops and, and he lays them out before God. Even the thought of death, he lays out before God. And he says, God, you, you do with me like this. And what you see in the text is that in the lowest valley and in the depths of his life, the mercy of God began to bubble up from down below. It's as if there, there, was, there was this spring of compassion that, that came up from underneath the earth and just began to engulf Elijah so that he could experience and, and know the, the love and power of God. God, God responds to him. God sends an angel to him, not once but twice. God sends him rest, not one nap but two naps. God, God sends him food. God sends him water. And all right there in that moment, as he prayed, the darkest thoughts of his life, God met him in God's mercy. God's mercy surrounded him and picked him up so that he might be saved. You see, in the death-defying valley, God was just as miraculous down low as he was up high on top of Mount Carmel. We, we saw this great miracle of fire pouring down out of heaven from above. But in the same way, in the, in the depths of life, the, the, the mercy of God came up from below and met him there and surrounded him in his compassion. And God's mercy and miracles happened in the depths of life just as they did on that mountaintop. God had not left him. It looks as though for a moment that Elijah is running away from God and running away from what God intended for him. But he couldn't outrun God's mercy. You see, in, in our weaker moments, what we want is for Christianity to be this mountaintop experience. And we've had those. I mean, most of us have these, these wonderful mountaintop experiences in our life where we have seen and known God and it's beautiful. And what we want is for this to be more like a video game where we're on the mountaintop experience and this cute little cloud comes over 
and we jump off the top of the mountain onto the cloud, and then we just float over all of life's problems, never having to deal with anything ever again. That's not what happens. That's not what happens on this side of eternity. There, there, there's no magic carpet cloud to take you over every valley that is in front of you. Instead, it's something different. What Jesus promised was real. And what Jesus saw was the pain and reality of life. He, he, he lived it. I mean, Jesus experienced the same pain that each of us do, the same loneliness, the same hurt that we experience. And what we find in Scripture is the promise of God is at the lowest points of your life, God will be right there with you, whether it's floating down the Nile or caught in a furnace. In the, the lowest points of life, the deepest valleys, the power and presence of God is there. That when you're on the mountain, the glory of God will shine brightly. And when you're running through the valleys, the angels of God will be there as a comfort. The Spirit of God will go before you. The Spirit of God will stand with you. See, what Jesus promises, and as he points to Pentecost, is that you will never be alone. Though you may feel alone, the power and presence of God will not leave you or forsake you. As God's child, you will never be alone again. He is with you for good in the depths of life. You know, one of the things I think Elijah was dealing with, I think he was flabbergasted that just this way, that after the glory of God had been revealed on Mount Carmel, that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel didn't turn. How could they dig in their heels? How can they not repent? I mean, God could not have been clearer. How are these two the ones who don't come to repentance? See, God proved himself faithful. And those who would be most affected, the leaders of the nation of Israel, dug their heels in. And they didn't want to admit to themselves and to the nation that God was in control and not them. In fact, they, they tried to grab a hold of more control as long as they could. That's, that's why they, they, they sent people to kill Elijah. And, and Elijah, as he's sitting under the juniper, he can't understand this. How, how can they not come to repentance? How can they not come to know God? His sovereign power is heal, here. And they choose evil. How can someone, after seeing the glory of God, choose evil? If there ever was an event to change someone's mind, it was on Mount Carmel. And it didn't sway them at all. In fact, when God's glory was revealed, it just made them angrier. And, and so Elijah, as he's under this tree, he's bitter to the point that he starts walking backwards. And not, not literally backwards, but in a way starts to rewind the story. And he starts walking out of Israel into the wilderness. This, the same wilderness where, where Israel had wandered for 40 years. And it, it's starting to look like he's walking back towards Egypt to be a slave again. You know, our text tells us it took him 40 days as he walked. 
It's a nod for us to Israel's history. It's interesting because Deuteronomy 1 tells us that the journey that Israel took, that took 40 years, that journey that they were going to be on should have taken them about 11 days. Or if you expand it out, it could be a little bit further, you know, 12, 13 days, something like that, depending on how far you go. And instead of 11 days, it took Israel 40 years to walk this way. And for Elijah, it's similar. An 11-day journey takes him 40 days. You see, by the grace of God, though, Elijah doesn't end up a stranger in Egypt. It it says he, he, he comes off this mountain... He goes down into the valley, and and he comes up a second mountain, Horeb. And and as he comes up this mountain, he walks with his pockets full of complaint. And, And he walks up the mountain of God with all of his grievances, and he looks up. You see, he comes to this Mount Horeb. This is a, a desert mountain. It, it stands about 7,500 feet tall. It's, it's about four times the size of Mount Carmel. And it's most notably known by another name. Here, Elijah finds himself at Mount Sinai, where, where God had met with Moses, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. This is, this is where God reveals himself. And, and Elijah goes up this mount, Mount Sinai, with all of his complaints in his pockets, and he, and he looks up to God. And he says, God, why am I alone? You know, it's interesting, but before that, God had, had just asked him, Elijah comes up, so he comes down off this mountain, comes to the valley, comes up onto another mountain, up even higher. And God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And it's not that God, God didn't know. God knew what Elijah was doing there. God, and, and Elijah looks up to God, and God says, what are you doing here? And, and Elijah starts to take all of his complaints out of his pockets, and he lays them on top of the mountain, and he says, God, I am alone I never expected, after these experiences with you, that I would be alone. And here I am, standing before you on Mount Sinai by myself. One of the things we have to recognize here with Elijah, that his expectations and his feelings are far from the truth. I mean, this was a a man of God. One that we'll see in the the transfiguration. This is a man who who is held up in high esteem through the scriptures, but his expectations and his feelings are taking him away from the truth. He's worried. He's thinking, these are things that should have been. They, They should have repented. Jezebel should be hugging me, not chasing me with an execution order. fearing for his life, and God meets him there. God God meets him with this compassion and this mercy. You you don't have to fear, Elijah. You don't don't have to fear this world or anyone of this world. There's no one here that is outside the sovereignty of God. 
He looks up and he says, God, I am alone and I'm tired of being alone. It's interesting that he's speaking this to God. God is with him. But, but even that, God, God recognizes, he says, Elijah, there's 7,000 others. You're not alone. There's, there's, there's a remnant of believers. They're, they're a remnant of my people. You're not alone. And, and I'm going to walk with you. My mercy is going to find you, and, and my compassion is going to flood your life. And what we see in this, and what we need to know together as a church, that all the way through this life, from those mountaintop experiences down into the depths of despair, the mercy of God is real, and the mercy of God is invigorating. That God's going to meet us in our pain. God's going to meet us in our complaint and pull us through in his strength. I don't know if you, you noticed this earlier in the text, but the, the angel of God told Elijah that the journey was too great for him. In the same way, the journey is too great for you. That by the Spirit of God, we will endure. And by the Spirit of God, we will know his mercy every step of the way. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time and we pray that as we come to a time of response that you would stir in our hearts. Lord, that you would teach us your ways. Lord, that you would forgive us of our sin. And Lord, remind us of how much you love us. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.